listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, episode 166. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with former Division I basketball player and author of Walk On Warrior, John Wilcom, to talk about his journey as a Division I basketball player and his book. John shares the story behind what motivated him to write his book and dives into drive discipline and the will to win. If you want to know more about how he began athletics at a young age and how he dealt with his mental performance as a basketball player, then this is a must-listen episode. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, Grant. Great to be with you today. Awesome, man. Well, I'm, uh, as always, I'm always excited to do my show and I'm, always, I'm excited to talk to people like you that have just an incredible story of adversity. Um, of never giving up and overcoming. And we're going to talk about your mindset as a, as an athlete, when you played D one basketball, but moreover, talk about the book that you wrote about your whole journey, the, the walk on warrior. So I'm just, uh, I'm so excited to share your story and just get a little bit more inside your mind. Um, and, and why you wrote this book and wanted to share it with everyone. Awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to dive in. Cool. Well, let's get into it. Well, as I always say this, I always say this to set the tone of the show. Um, and also the work that I do with athletes, you know, working with, uh, mental performance, uh, skills and strategies. Um, when you think about mental toughness, I can only imagine, and we'll, we'll get into some of the things that you had to go through as an athlete, but when you think about the, the two words, mental toughness, what does that mean for you? Yeah. I've thought a lot about this. Um, and I think you'd answer it in so many different ways, but for me personally, it's always just been the ability to handle something kind of in the present moment and almost like take all the stressors, maybe all the, the, the present noise that's around me and just really get after, you know, what's at hand. And I think that that's changed a lot for me, obviously, as a younger person, when everything was about athletics and sports and, um, I feel like I just had maybe uh, more clarity and uh, less stuff going on. So it was easier to just go to class and go to lunch and go to practice. And it's kind of laid out for you, you know, now with family and kids and jobs and um, you know, there's, there's almost uh, all these external things that can distract you from trying to 
to accomplish maybe what you want to accomplish. And so I think there's so many things that I learned just as an athlete and especially um, an athlete at the division one college level that have kind of changed just the way I've lived my life as I've gotten to be older and um, my responsibilities have gone from just myself to obviously other people and um, even extended, you know, more broadly into organizations and the way that I run a business today. Do you think, you know, when, well, when you look back at your whole career as an athlete and also I, I call you a corporate athlete now, um, but when you think about all from the beginning of, of competing and performing, do you think your, your understanding or perspective of being mentally tough has changed over the years? Yeah, I think it has. Um, you know, I think that there's a calmness that comes with mental toughness that, when you have confidence deep down that even if you don't know the answer or you may not even know if you can accomplish something, it's almost just like the process you go through. Um, I may even be arguing with my wife, you know, and sometimes I think back and just say, man, I don't know really how to answer this, or maybe it's the wrong answer. Um, but I feel like it's just kind of a, a piece in my own heart and mind, um, that allows me just like to have that conversation and, um, kind of go through it with somewhat of a even keel. Um, I feel like a lot of what I did, whether it was at Marquette or, um, kind of moving up the business ladder has been similar where so many times it's these stressful you know, situations and they just throw you in there. And it's like, to be honest, like all the questions you just asked, like, I don't know the answer, mm-hmm. but I think that there's ways for me to find out. There's probably people that I know that could help with some of these things and me freaking out or, you know, throwing some fit about it, isn't going to, um, alleviate anything quickly. And so I think that just the ability to kind of keep a, um, a mindset of like, Hey, I've got a confidence, um, internally that I'm going to find the answers and get it done. Um, and I just kind of, kind of move at my own pace that way. And then and typically the results are pretty good. Uh, if I follow that process. And, and I know you have one, um, you probably have, you have multiple ones, but when you think about that, that specific moment in your, let's just say when you played basketball, right? What was that one moment where you had to be mentally tough, where it stood out out of all the things, like what was the most monumental experience where you had to be mentally tough? So this is a story. And sometimes it's like hard to go back to these things because 17, 18 years later, it's like, I can look back at this and laugh. Right. And at the time there was no laughing matter at all. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, I had trained for probably 30 straight days before my first strength and conditioning session at Marquette. Um, I thought I was in tremendous shape and I had done uh, so many different cardio things and weight things. And um, for me, mentally, physically, I felt like I was in a great spot. So I show up at this strength and conditioning session, you know, 6 a.m. We start on the dot and, uh, it's just, it's just absolutely brutal. Um, there's no clock in there. You have no idea when it's going to be over. And it just seems like there's just one thing after the next where you're like, all right, I'm good. And then like 20 minutes later, it's like, maybe I'm not so good. And then another 20 minutes later, it's like, I just feel like I've been here forever and my body's just going to like explode. And like, how much more of this can I do? I, I don't know if like physically I can do anymore. Um, so at the end of this session, and again, I didn't know it's the end, but our strength coach, uh, puts us on this leg press 
and I had heard stories about this from, from teammates and even other athletes at university of just like how brutal this stuff was, but he loads up all this weight. And every time another plate's put on there, I'm like, I can't lift that. You know, there's just, there's no way I can do that much. Right. Um, and he basically looks at me and is like, you've got to do 20 to get out. And it's like 20, man, you know, I've been doing sets of eight or six or four with less weight, you know, like for the last 30 days. So anyway, I do maybe four or five and like the fifth rep, it's just like bone crushingly painful, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's one of those where he's yelling at me for slamming the weights down. And it's just this whole, like, you know, chaos in your mind of like, can I actually do this? My legs feel like they're going to snap. Um, and I ended up just doing like one at a time. And I don't know how long it actually took me. I, I may have been sitting there for 20, 25 minutes. And it was just, it was the most mentally grueling thing probably up to that point in my life um, of just, he was there to break me, to basically say like, this is the level that everything's going to be done here. And I left there and I was, I was just in such a, such a blur. And I thought, if this is how things are going to be, like, I'm never going to make it. Um, but it certainly set a tone. And I think that, um, it's amazing what I was able to accomplish after that mm -hmm. because it kind of opened my mind. And I think even my body up to, there's just a whole nother level here for me that no one had ever even explored, including myself. Um, that was possible. And so, um, it's amazing when you think you've kind of reached the mountain, um, until somebody comes along that's willing to maybe put you in the most brutal of places. Um, you may never actually get to where your true mountain is. You know, it's, it's such a great lesson of when you talk about like doing one thing at a time, right? We, we you know, I've, I've, done a lot of work in the weight room with athletes. And we have this saying one breath, one rep. It's not about doing the 10 reps or the 20 reps. It's about just doing this rep presently with your breath. And so when you, when you've, when you, you were just attacking it one rep at a time, even though it was excruciating, right? What do you think got you through it though? Because when we're faced with pain or adversity uh, in a chaotic situation, a lot of times we listen to our thoughts. So a lot of times I'm trying to get athletes to talk to their thoughts so they can get back into control with their thoughts and start talking in the direction that they want to go with their words and their language. So was there any dialogue that was happening for you at all? Yeah, I think um, so prior to that point, I had gone through, we call them individual workouts, but it was basically me and three other guys doing like basketball and conditioning work just in the gym. So outside of the weight room. And that was the week prior to that. And all three of those times, one out of that group before literally just say, right, you know, raising the flag, I'm done. I, I can't do anymore. You know, as a human being, you're like, it's hard to see that. It's hard to see like a grown man, just completely like laying on the ground saying, I can't go on, right. you know, and lift them up and whatever. But when you, when you actually then finish yourself, there's a certain like gratification and just confidence you have that I can do this. Um, and I've done it now once, twice, three times. And so that gave me some confidence there. Just like I've done this before, you know, maybe not yeah. at this, this level. Um, so that was part of it. And I think the other part is I genuinely wanted to be there. 
um, have a passion for basketball that, that it's hard to explain, but, um, I wanted to play college basketball. Um, but I really wanted to play at Marquette. Um, my dad was a student there in the seventies. He was actually, you know, on campus when they won their first and only men's basketball national championship in 1977. So for me to be playing at Marquette, it was kind of like, this is a dream scenario for me. Um, and all these other guys, um, you know, maybe they had other motivations, but to be, you know, almost that sincere and to almost look back at my life and say, you know, when I was eight or nine years old, it was bedtime. And the only times I got to stay up was when Marquette was on TV. Um, wow. you know, so it, it meant something additional to me. And I think that, you know, my subconscious probably was just like, Hey, no matter what's thrown at you, you're going to get through it. Big time, you know, and for, for whatever reason, as you're talking to you, like, um, the, the, the movie Rudy comes up for me, you know, uh, you know, always want to go to Notre Dame and, you know, and he stuck with it, you know, and, uh, and we all obviously know how that, that movie ended. Now, before we get back into your, or get into your book, walk on warrior, let's look at your relationship with, with basketball. What motivated you to play basketball? What was that thing that got you connected to the sport? It's probably a lot of factors, to be honest. Um, my dad coached youth basketball when I was a kid, so he didn't coach me, but he, um, he coached like junior high girls at the time. And I was that little kid that kind of tagged along and would sit on the sideline and occasionally get yelled at for dribbling the ball and you know that type of stuff. But what I really loved about basketball was that I could practice on my own and get better. Um, you know, my friends were maybe golfing and it's like my parents couldn't afford that. So golf was out, you know, some of my friends love football or baseball, but it was just somewhat limited as to what you could do on your own to improve in those sports versus had a basketball hoop on my driveway. And ultimately it was up to me, you know, I wanted to shoot the ball better, be a better dribbler or whatever. I felt like I could kind of control my own destiny that way. So basketball, just from a young age, um, was just the most interesting to me. And I think it's one of those things too, when, when you practice anything and you start to see results and you feel yourself getting better, you want to do more of it. Um, which is kind of, uh, how I felt, um, for most of like my teen years. Well, and I know you're going to get into your, uh, you know, your personal story is really rooted in the book that you wrote walk on warrior. Um, and we'll get into the, the story and, and all the things that, that made the story, but what, what motivated you to write the book? Um, cause I know I wrote a book and it's a daunting task. Uh, but what were the things that, that were really compelling for you to, to write this book for people to read? So I never thought it would actually be a book. I literally started journaling a few things when I was in college more just because I thought they were interesting. And I thought, you know, man, I just would love to like record this moment in time because this has never happened to me before, or we just had this crazy workout, or I met this MBA executive or Nike just came into the locker room and showed us these, you know, exclusive, you know, exclusive shoes that we're going to get in mm. next week. It's like for a small town kid, this was all just awesome to me. And so I'd write some things down. Um, Eventually I graduated from college, you know, I quote unquote, got a real job. And I never really went back to any of it, to be honest with you. I thought maybe I'll pass some of the stuff on to my kids when I have kids, but ultimately like it wasn't a huge priority for me. And it wasn't until I met my then wife and we moved to Portland, Oregon. And she was in a three-year medical residency where she was working hundred plus hours a week. And I'd come home for work 
she was working. I'd wake up in the morning. She's already gone to work. Like it's just a crazy couple of years. And at that time I thought, what can I do with my own time to actually like feel some sense of accomplishment and not just say, and I watched a, you know, 150 NBA games last year. What did I get out of that? Right. So I just kept going back to this story and more so just because again, um, I was getting married and just that thought of passing something on that was meaningful to me just seemed like just kept coming up over and over again. And so, uh, over that probably year and a half time period, I would just, you know, stay up late at night and was kind of just in my own headspace by myself. And I started to really kind of put things together. And so I think the beauty of the book itself was that, you know, a lot of the book was written when I was 18, 19 years old. And a lot of it was written when I was 33, 34. And so there's definitely some, some different just mentalities that kind of come out in the story itself. Um, cause perspective is a powerful thing. Um, and I kind of kept some of that because there were parts when I read what I wrote in 2003, I'm like, I don't know if I feel this way anymore, <laughs> but it was like, I wrote it that way because that's how I did feel. And a lot of people forget that when you're that age, you're kind of still a kid. Oh yeah. Um, and as much as, as college sports are such a huge thing and just a moneymaker and there's just so much that goes into it. Um, man, we'd screw around at practice and in the you know locker room and there was still so much of life that I had like yet to experience. Um, and so I think a lot of that comes out and just what was written down now, because I went through this and, and I know that you and I talked about this before the show, but because, you know, these events happened a long time ago or longer, uh, cause I know when I wrote my book and it was two, two decades ago. So when I was going over some of these things, just like certain, uh, moments in games or practices or, you know, uh, certain conversations I have with coach, like I'd go, okay did that really happen? Like, or did I, is it after so many years? And, and if I put it out there, are my teammates going to agree with me? That's the way it happened. And then I got to a point, I'm like, screw it. It's my truth. This is what I, whether what they saw might've been different, but it's what I saw and what I felt. So I had to go through this like vulnerability process of like being okay with, with what happened 20 years ago. For sure. There's a certain sense as an athlete, protect kind of the locker room at all costs. You want to be respectful of people. And at the same time, it's it's my story. Um, it's the way that I saw things. And I kind of straddle the fine line between both of, I didn't want the book to be like a culmination of stats or, you know, we played all these games and here's exactly who scored these points. And you know, you can read that on any website. Um, but I wanted to take people back into, this is how I felt doing some of these things. Mm. These are stories that nobody else could tell you um, unless you were maybe a teammate of mine. But even then, to your point, I probably saw things differently from my standpoint um, than maybe our, you know, uh, future NBA point guard did, or, you know, a guy that was a five-star recruit um, as a freshman and experience, obviously coming into college was much different than mine. So um, I did come to a certain piece there. And then, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like you're necessarily looking for feedback, but we're all human beings. Right. And when former coaches or teammates and such, you know, hit you up after they read the book and 
share their kind of views or feedback or, um, they laugh when you, when you tell stories about certain things. Um, I really got a kick out of that too, because, um, as much as again, you don't care, you do care. Um, and it's just nice to, uh, it's nice to have those dialogues. And what do you, what do you want the reader to take away? And is it just for that, that athlete that's walking on, uh, on, on, it doesn't matter division one, division two, division three. Um, who, who's it for? So I think this has somewhat changed too, just based on all the the people that have read it. Um, but I've gotten a ton of feedback from parents. on like, wow, this is maybe I want my, my kid to play college, anything. I didn't realize it was like this. I think that there's a very kind of raw authenticity to what's in that book, um, in terms of just the truth. And I think one of the reasons why I wrote it was to appeal to a 12, 13, 14 year old kid that might say, well, that's my dream, but like, what does it actually take to get there? And do I have the same doubts at 14 that John did at 14? The answer is yes. You know, of course, like (laughs) nobody knows where you're going to be. Right. But I think like, you know, part of just my own headspace when I was in high school is just get the most out of what you have. Um, try to develop areas where you know that you're weak. Um, be honest with yourself. And if somebody gets on you about something, you may hate it for a day or two, but find the truth in that and say, this coach just said, I'm, I'm slow laterally, you know, right. or your, your shot release is too low, you know, he or she, they're right. And I got to get in the lab and I got to change some of those things. And at the end of the day, that was one of the, I guess, true privileges of playing at that level was just had a lot of time to work on it. Um, and I actually, I really enjoyed the process, you know, and share with my listeners truly how hard it is to walk on, on a division one. I don't care what, what sport it is, especially basketball. I mean, when you think about basketball and, and football and baseball, um, and, and again, even on the female side as well, it's, it's hard. So from your perspective, um, how hard is it to, to walk onto a D one in a premier basketball program. I was liking it to just imagine, you know, anyone's life now as an adult, wake up, you have breakfast, you know, you work, let's say from eight to five, eight to six, maybe you work more, do some things at night, but like, that's your day. You know, imagine if your day started at like four 30 or five and you had a conditioning session for an hour and a half and you ate breakfast and you went to class from seven to noon, had lunch, you practiced for like what the NCAA max typically is what these coaches get out of it. So it's usually three hours. Um, you have dinner, you go to a required study hall from six to eight. Um, and we used to have a thing at Marquette called maximize the day. So all of a sudden at eight o'clock, it's like, I'm done. But we had this, this board in our locker room where you would basically, uh, you were tracked on doing extra things from 8 PM till when I, till whenever. Wow. And so I love the concept. I'm all about like, you know, let's fine tune what we can. But if you just think about that mentally, it's like, I'm exhausted. And yet I'm going to go back to the gym at eight 30 and do all this stuff and take a shower and then get up and do it over and over again. And most people I know say, Oh, I could do that. Sure. You could do it for a day, you know, but try doing that every day. Yeah. You know, it's, and so that's where I think the, 
going back to your mental toughness question at the beginning, it's somewhat of this is just longevity. And, and one thing that, you know, I'll never forget is one of our senior captains came up to me during just a brutal weight workout. And it's just like, you know, you just kind of get used to this. Like it doesn't matter when it ends. It doesn't matter what we do. Just do one thing at a time and you're going to make it. And I thought, you know, wow, there's some wisdom in that having gone through that for four years that he has that I don't quite have yet, but I'm starting to understand. Well, it goes back to culture, right? It's like you're, you're either bought in or you're going to be on the outside of that culture looking in. And um, so you get to a point where you're like, this is just the way it is, you know, and you have to buy into it or not, you know, you have a choice. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, going through that whole process, uh, working from the bottom up just to, just to make the roster. Was there any moment through your, your, your collegiate basketball career where you wanted to quit? And if you did, what, what kept you moving forward? What kept you being gritty and resilient? Yeah. So I think that's one of the, um, kind of ironies of my whole story is that I played college basketball for two years. Um, and then I actually walked away from it and Mm. I had that, that call with our coach and it was the hardest phone call I probably ever made. Um, and I started coaching and I started coaching at a high school and I, I coached under a guy who, um, to this day is probably one of the greatest people I've ever met. Um, his name was David cooks. And when he was 15 years old, um, he woke up one morning and he couldn't get out of bed and he just kept, you know, I was like, what's, what's wrong with me. I, I can't literally cannot take a step off of my bed. And he had a spinal aneurysm during the night and he was paralyzed just like that 15. And wow. so this guy went on to play college wheelchair basketball. He then went to Duke to get his MBA. Um, during that time, he became a, a student manager for coach K, um, when they won back to back national titles in like 92, 93. So wow. you know, he's there with Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner and Grant Hill and just like wow. the glory years. And then eventually he comes, he comes home to Milwaukee to coach basketball at his alma mater and teach AP economics. And so I get connected to this guy. He's basically like, you want to be my varsity assistant. And, um, and I do that for two years. Um, he then eventually gets me a job with the Milwaukee bucks and I work in public relations. And so I bring all this stuff up because I feel like me walking away from playing, you know, often has like a negative connotation. I just had such a, um, such a diverse experience with basketball. Um, even in the short three, four, five years, um, that I just talked about that was just super, super meaningful to me. And I think it just gave me a very, um, broad perspective on like what was possible through basketball for me. You bring something up that's really important. And I, I, I think 90 to 95% of the shows that I have, we always talk about transition because it doesn't matter what level you're at, especially if the sport that you're, you really love and you've been playing it for a fair amount of time or a long time, that transition can suck. It could be tough. And we've seen some of the transitions out there that have gone really bad. Uh, And I can raise my hand and say, man, it took me two decades to get over my transition with football. So 
And there's been great stories about transition. Like people have done great things to prepare their transition or they were in a good environment or they had a great relationship with their coach at that transition was smooth. And when we leave our sport. And so for you, you had that, that call. I can only, I, I felt it in my heart. Like I've, I've been there before where you have to, you have to be, you're sharing your heart and you're being super vulnerable with your coach, especially you spent like you're working your ass off just to make the team. Right. So I can only imagine what that was like to talk to your coach. And in that scenario, it, it feels like a crisis, right? You have to like face this crisis, but you don't know that there's an opportunity, but it seemed like that you were, you eventually, after you left the game of football and you did something really difficult, the opportunities started to come and you started to have this opportunity to work with this incredible guy and he got you an opportunity for the bucks and you can look back at like, wow, I faced adversity. Um, I saw that there was an opportunity maybe after the fact, but that's what I want to teach people is when you're faced with adversity, there is an opportunity, but you got to allow yourself to see it and welcome it. Absolutely. I think um, the door is always open when you've kind of done all the work behind the scenes to put yourself in a position to be successful. And, you know, everybody talks about just like what you can take from playing or coaching or how you apply these things. But, you know, sometimes too, you just humble yourself. And like, I had applied to some other high school jobs and I got zero responses, you know? And uh, I thought, man, who wouldn't want to have me on the staff, you know, like great with high school kids. I had done some other coaching in my past. Um, but you don't get any responses and, you know, I'm a spiritual person and I believe that there's some divine intervention there too, but it's like, what are the chances that this guy emails me back, wants me to come in, you know, we form kind of this special bond and, you know, really for the next couple of years, um, I went in every day, half hour before practice, just to like talk to him, talked about basketball. We talked about girls. We talked about what I wanted to do with my life. And he was just, it was so much more than basketball. Um, then, and again, I just wanted to, I just wanted to coach and be around kids and to your point, kind of make that transition. Um, but it's amazing kind of what happened to me and what I was given as a result of like all the things that I kind of gave to basketball the two years prior to that. Yeah. And, you know, I want to bring this up just because um, I'm huge on words. And I think that there's so many things that we can get from words that we can, we can get refocused by words, but on the cover of your book under the walk on warrior, you have drive discipline and the will to win. And what stood out for you to kind of, put those, those three statements or words, um, there's more than three, but you know, on your cover, like does, does driving discipline and the will to win, does that define your journey? Yeah. I mean, I spent weeks, maybe months, um, coming up with that, like three tiered phrase because I wanted to, I wanted it to be just reflective of the journey, like who I was. Um, when I try to just like sum everything up, those were kind of the three pieces that seemed to fit the best. And so I, I totally agree with you. It was like, this isn't just like a basketball story or, you know, it's a, there's a lot of underlying things in here about those three things that again, you never know how it's going to connect with an audience. But um, when you get feedback from like non-athletes or parents who don't really care about basketball and they're like, I found a lot of value in this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that kind of, I guess just helps like, um, reestablish why I put those, those three phrases on the cover. And inter- just, I want to dig in a little bit on the will to win or will to win, uh, because there's, you know, a lot of people want to, it's about winning and it's not all about winning and winning. Everyone has a different internal representation of it has a different meaning of it. So when you, when you put these words down in your book, will to win, is that, is that winning the process? Is that winning in, in the moment of adversity? Is it actually to get the W to win? What, what does that mean for you? Yeah. So I think, uh, for anyone that reads the book, again, this was basketball was certainly like the thread that held everything together, but there's a lot in the book about what happened after basketball. Cause again, I, you know, wrote some of that, that stuff when I was far removed from playing. And I think you see the will to win in a lot of those things. You know, I was, was the national salesperson of the year at the company that I worked for a few years out of college you know, and I stood on the stage in front of 10,000 people and basically gave a keynote speech as to like what I did to deserve this. Right. Uh But, you know, talk about just like a tingling feeling in your, in your soul when you're about to walk on the stage as a young person in front of peers that are 20, 30, 40 years older than you. And you just say like, man, everything I've done in my life has been about just kind of doing the dirty work, almost doing the things that nobody else wanted to do and trying to find my own edge. Um, so that honestly, not so I could be standing up on that stage, but just so I could feel like I got the most out of myself and ultimately like, you know, I can go to bed happy whether I, you know, get some stupid award or not. Um, it was more just about trying to maximize my talent. And before we we close up with a couple more questions here, but I kind of, I want my, my, cause I know, I know what's like, what it takes to walk on. Um, not, not at a division one college, but, but when you did it, was there anybody else that walked on with you or were you all by yourself? And you know, you're, you're basically run all these elite athletes that are on scholarships. Was it abnormal or normal for people to walk on at Marquette? So I was in a bit of a unique circumstance. Um, just because I never thought I would have an opportunity. Um, there were a couple walk-ons previous year. Um, and those guys didn't, uh, decide that they didn't want to come back until like July. Um, and so again, I happened to be working basketball camps down there and, um, I would scrimmage with players, coaches, summer camp coaches, like in the evenings. And one night, one of the assistant coaches just came up to me and said, we have a spot open. And you know, when camp ends this Friday, you basically have 45 days to get in the best shape of your life and come back and you'll have an opportunity. And, um, so I went back to my hometown and again, I just put myself through, through everything I I knew how to do, you know, between just running and weights and basketball drills. And I mean, I just had a pretty tight schedule that way. Um, just so that I could mentally feel like I was ready to go. Um, so, uh, we did have a couple other walk-ons, um, you know, I think what was interesting about our team and I'll never forget this is that when I was told, when I sat down with, with Tom Crean, who was, who was our coach, um, sat in his office and he's just like, you know, it's an honor and a privilege to be here, to be a part of this program for you, for me, anybody involved. Um, and obviously like I could relate to that because of my affinity for the, for the school itself. Yeah. Um, but he basically said, I am going to push you and coach you and teach you 
like anybody else. Um, and I love that because I thought, wow, like what an opportunity. Um, I played behind a guy that was eventually drafted in the second round of the NBA draft, um, played in the league for six years. Um, I think he's 39 years old. He's still playing professionally in Italy. Uh Um, but it's like, that's what I was up against every day. Um, I mean, this is a guy that I went and watched as a high school, you know, freshman when he was a senior, uh, just lighted up. And I thought that the fact that I was in the locker room with him and we're good friends now. Um, but you know, that was the expectation was just, man, if I don't step up and learn how to compete with that, um, I'm not going to last here very long. Um, mm. so it was just, it was great to be around that type of talent that, almost kind of forced me to, to elevate everything that I did. And when you look at just at the whole Marquette experience, what was, uh, what was your proudest moment? I think one of my proudest moments was, you know, I'm not a super physically imposing guy. And so, you know, one of the areas that was always hard for me was some of these strength sessions where it was just, it was just hard, you know, and, um, you know, you're physically, you're trying to compete against a lot of bigger guys, who are throwing around much bigger weights. Um, so I'd gone through a, you know, preseason, a season, and it's in the springtime and the springtime is kind of a chance to, to recover a little bit, to hopefully make some strength gains. But, um, you know, in about mid April, you start training pretty hard. And, um, one day we had a deadlift competition and it was me and three other scholarship guys. Um, and I won't go into all the details, but I win this thing pretty easily. Mm. Um, and it was certainly just a moment of a kind of a defining moment for me, just mentally of like, I knew I belonged long before that. Um, but to basically walk out of there and just be like, I don't know. I feel like I could not only compete, but I could beat a lot of these guys in a lot of these different things. Um, where six months ago I was, I was afraid to kind of walk through the front door. Mm. Um, that was, that was a big boost of confidence for me. So you kind of, at that moment felt like you secure your spot. Like I've arrived. I mean, obviously I'm not going to, I'm not starting, but I'm, I can do this. I can do it with everybody else here. That must be a must, must've been a, um, with all the hard work must've been a cool feeling. It was. And, and again, it's like, not that you need the external validation, but, um, I'm sitting at lunch a couple of weeks later and a um, bunch of my friends played on the, the men's soccer team and they're sitting there and they're like, you wouldn't believe what strength coach said this morning to us. He's giving us this pep talk. I'm like, what did he say? You know? And he basically ended his pep talk by saying, if any of you guys worked as hard as Wilkham did on the basketball team, you would be twice as good as you are now. And I'm like, he didn't say that. And they're like, no, that's what he said. (laughs) And so, you know, again, to kind of be berated and pushed as hard as I was by a guy that probably never affirmed anything that I did um, to me. And then to hear that from some of my peers, um, again, I felt like deep down, he had a ton of respect for me, Mm -hmm. even though his job wasn't to tell me that. um, And he probably never would. Um, until I was out of the program, you know, so, um, that was a special moment for me too. And when you look back 
and I know this is all in your book, but when you look back at your, your whole journey as an athlete, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Honestly, I, I think that, um, Tom Crean used to tell me all the time. He used to say every day you either get better or you get worse. You never stay the same. And I feel like I've always kind of used that just as a barometer to like everything that I do. It's just that there's a, there's always another level out there. Um, there's another level in business There's another level in communication and people management. Um, and so I've just been around so many people that seem to kind of be comfortable with the way things are. Um, and I just, I love the mentality, not to an extreme that I, you know, go to bed restless every night, but more just as a motivation, like wake up in the morning and I feel like there's more to be done. There's a better way to do things. And so I think I just learned to have confidence in that process, um, to know that there are going to be a lot of bumps and that kind of like that, that senior told me that, you know, when you kind of put in the repetition and you spend the time, um, a lot of times that stuff gets easier, even though you're doing exactly the same things. Right. Exactly. Is it fair to say, I mean, do you feel that, that you were an underdog, you know, just with your size, not having a scholarship, proving yourself to get on the roster? Did you feel like an underdog? Yeah, I definitely felt like an underdog as an athlete. Um, I will say that one thing I've tried to remind myself of as a business professional is almost the opposite of I'm qualified to do this. Right. Um, I'm good enough to be on the stage or this panel. Um, and so that sometimes is a little bit of a shift um, where I almost want to like play the underdog card, even though it's like, no, like, someone should pay me this and I'm the best at what I do. And I know that. Um, So uh, it's been interesting kind of being on two sides of that coin. I think, and I know exactly what you're talking about because when I, when I left the game of football, I got into corporate sales for 17 years and we all get beautiful things from our sports. I don't care what it is. And for me, it was, you know, communication, it was leadership, it was competitive spirit. And I brought that, I brought that into, so I had all the reps, I had, I had all that experience. So when I got into this new environment, like I knew, like, I, I just knew I was one of the best and I had just started my career, but it's what I got from sports. And sometimes when you're in sport and you're competing, you don't really see like, am I really that good? Or am I the best? that's a general statement. A lot of times we do think that in the moment, but you know, there's a lot of self-talk that happens or negative self-talk that gets us in that. Like, am, am I good enough? Am I going to make the team, you know, does coach see me at all at practice. Yep. So I can, I can only imagine all your experiences got you to a point in your corporate life or your professional life to, to be one of the best. Yeah. It's certainly, uh, it's certainly interesting, but I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I think I would much rather have been the guy that had to earn everything. Um, and again, like we've seen this in movies and we probably all have friends like this, that things maybe came easier for them earlier in life. You know, maybe it was financial backing or the support that they had, or, um, you know, dad's got a job waiting for them. The minute you graduate school, um, I'm glad I didn't have that. Um, not that you can't be successful, you know, really any, any way, but I think, having to kind of earn everything that I've, that I've got 
um, certainly just makes for, um, something that I think I myself can respect mm. about the way that I've, the way that I've, um, gotten to where I am. And before we close out here, what would be like, what would be your underdog message? So to the, the other dudes and dudettes that are out there grinding it out, um, maybe are, they don't have the height, they don't have the speed, maybe they're working on their intelligence, um, you know, IQ, EQ, what would be your message to that underdog? Yeah, I would just say, take advantage of, uh, of all the things that are out there. Um, so many great tools and resources and podcasts and trainers, and it sure would be great not to get to, to college and say, you know, this is the first time I've maybe experienced this level of push. Um, I think when you're exposed to some of that stuff at a little bit younger age, and I don't mean that you need to, you know, get the crap kicked out of you when you're 12 or 13, right? but you can't get too comfortable in a small bubble where you think you're doing everything you can and you're overachieving. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of AAU basketball and, you know, kids travel all over the place now for sports. I'm not saying go play 150 games this summer. Um, but be able to get in the lab with people that are better than you, um, and, and get pushed because I think if you're, you're around that. And one of the stories I tell in the book is I was on a track team when I was nine years old and I was running with kids that were two, three years older than me. Um, and at the time I didn't realize this, but one would go to be the, the starting left tackle at Michigan. And the other kid, um, actually won a gold medal in the Athens Olympics in the 400 meter dash and wow. the relays. So these were two elite athletes, but again, I'm just like, I gotta be right behind these guys. <laughs> and so that was the greatest, um, the greatest experience probably for me as an athlete at a very young age that I, no one could have ever predicted. But point being is like, I'd much rather run next to two guys that are faster than me than be the fastest one all the time. Totally. I love that. I love that mindset. Now, how can my, how can my listeners buy your book, uh, learn more about you, connect with you on social media? Yeah. So the name of the book is walk on warrior. Um, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, pretty much anywhere you can, where you can buy books and, um, would love to connect with anybody. Um, even if it's just about want to play college sports or if you have questions about the book or just the journey, um, love the feedback. Um, find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, really, uh, really appreciate you having me on the show. Awesome, man. Well, again, thank you for sharing your story, um, your book and, and putting it out there. I mean, that's, it's not easy to put our story out there um, and, to, and to be vulnerable. And I can only imagine how many people do read it, whether they're in sports or not, they get lessons and they, and not only lessons to learn in life um, and maybe some of the stuff that they're dealing with in the moment, but, um, but just seeing somebody out putting their story out there. That's huge, man. So uh, thanks for coming on the show today and, and sharing, sharing everything, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Grant. Have a great day and uh, appreciate everybody that listened. Awesome.